I'm going um, to take us to Matthew chapter 28 as we prep for uh, what we're going to be doing Saturday, giving out 10,000 Bibles, and we do hope that you would join us. Uh, but whether it be on Saturday or any other day, every day is a good day to preach Jesus. Um, and so it was, we just found it appropriate to, uh, to just go over the Great Commission this morning and to prepare our hearts. So I'm going to read from verse 18 to verse 20. And so I ask you to remain standing so that you can read with me. Uh, I'll pray and then we can be seated. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority, somebody say all authority. All authority, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let me pray, and you can be seated. Father, we just thank you for this morning. We do ask, God, I ask that you would go before me. Uh, Father, we pray that you would go before us as we hear your word, that it would be rooted and planted in our hearts that when we need it at the right time, that boldness would be given to us as we're reminded of your precious promises this morning. Uh, God, that they would be effective for the preaching of the gospel. God, that you would raise us up for this purpose that we might declare your praise. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so this morning I have the, the privilege of, of taking us through these verses that we just read and my message is called Three Good Reasons, and so that's my aim this morning, is to give you three good reasons that I see within this passage of Scripture to go and to preach the gospel. When we look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, um, it becomes abundantly clear to us that Jesus is giving us a platform of why to preach. So he says, go therefore, but when he says, go therefore, uh, he's saying it based on the first thing that he said. Based on what I have just told you, now, now go, go and preach the gospel. Well, what was the first thing that he told us? Read with me again, if you will, in verse 18, it says, and Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. The reason that we're to go and be bold and be fearless is because all authority has been given to Christ. Now, I, I just kind of want to move what may be a stumbling block for some. You know, it's this very passage of Scripture that people use to say, you know, Jesus is not God. You Christians say that Jesus is God. First of all, it's not us Christians that say Jesus is God. It's the Scriptures that say that Jesus is God. And often they'll turn to Matthew chapter 28 and they'll pose this question. If Jesus is God, then how was it that he said that all authority was given to him? How could he receive it if it's from God? I thought that, they, that you believe that Jesus is God. Now the irony is that the very scripture that they use to disprove that Jesus is God, I want to actually go to that verse since we're in it today and use it kind of as a foundation, a platform by which we'll stand to, to find our hope for three good reasons to preach the gospel. Which is to say that in this very verse, I find five 
proclamations that Jesus actually makes that he's in God inside the very verse that they use to prove that he's not God. Are you with me this morning? This is not the, uh, the, the centerpiece of my message, although Jesus is the centerpiece, and that's why I found it worthwhile to bring out these five points. So I won't belabor them. Uh, I'm going to move quickly. Stay with me. In verse 17, if you just shoot up one verse, it says, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. So the first thing that we see in this verse is that Jesus is God. How so? Because he receives worship. Only God alone is to be worshipped, and so Jesus would be amiss if he did not rebuke those who claimed him as God. That's the first point. The second point, and you can just skip down in verse 18, and it says that all authority has been given to me, Christ says, in heaven and on earth. That means that Jesus alone has the authority to judge the world. That he alone has the authority to forgive sins. Well, we're told in the book of Isaiah that God alone makes the sovereign proclamation that he's able to forgive sins. And now Jesus claims that he's able to do it. And that's only possible if Jesus is God. In verse 19, we see that Jesus says, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name. Now notice, it doesn't say names, it says the name. That the three are one, the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So in this way, Jesus puts his name on par with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Well, no name is on par with God but the name of Jesus, because Jesus is God. If you're with me, say amen. Amen. Now, if that wasn't enough, if somebody was still grappling with these and go, I'm not sure I'm seeing what you're seeing, well, this one is... uh, How do you say? You don't need a rocket scientist. I mean, you just read it at face value. Listen to verse 20. It says, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. I have commanded you. Well, the only command that we're supposed to obey are God's command, but Jesus says God's command is my command. And the only way that that's possible is if Jesus is God. And then as we keep reading, and lo, I... Am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus claims that he's not only with the 12 disciples, but he's with all those that read this, that he's not only with them now, but he's with them forever, that he's not just with them forever, but he's with them wherever they go. He's with them forever and at all times, wherever they go, that means he's with you wherever you are and you wherever you are, and not just because we're in the same room, but even when we leave the room, depart and go in different places, he's still with you. And the only way that that claim is possible is if Jesus is omnipresent and only God is omnipresent present. Are you with me this morning? All right, great. Now that we got that out of the way, or rather in the way, let's stand upon that as the foundation of which I'll preach this morning. All authority, Jesus said, has been given to him, and this is the means in which we should feel empowered to go and preach the gospel. Not only feel empowered, but be empowered. And I just want to work this in a way that's very applicable. So I'm going to ask a couple questions, but let me just say this. Jesus is now speaking in his resurrected state, and he says that all authority has been given to him on heaven and in earth. 
What is more is this seems to be the foundation or the driving force behind the command to go and preach the gospel. Both our commission and our consolation to go and be bold is to be rooted on the basis that Christ has all authority, that he's been resurrected and ascended to the right hand of God. Now, my question is, that's, that's great. That's good news. Jesus died. He resurrected. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. All authority now has been placed under his feet. That Jesus, in fact, will be the judge on the day of judgment. When we talk about standing before the throne and being judged, Jesus says that he is the one who's going to do the judgment. But this fact that Christ has been resurrected is told to us in the scriptures that is the sufficient evidence for everyone to believe. So if I were to ask the question, well, why should I believe? The scriptures would tell me you should believe that Jesus is the son of God because he was resurrected from the dead. I want to show you where I see that. One particular verse is in Acts chapter 17. Now, if you will, go to Acts chapter 17 and just put a thumb mark there. Fold the page or put your finger in it. But we're going to skip around from Matthew chapter 28 to Acts chapter 17. But right now, we're just going to start with this verse in verse 29. It says, therefore, since we are the offspring of God, Paul is preaching in Athens to a bunch of unbelievers. In fact, they're pagans. They worship idols. He comes across uh, one idol, this statue, uh, where it says that there is an inscription to an unknown God. In fact, there is no statue there like the other statues. This one's just an altar. And the reason is because He's an invisible God. And so Paul says, ah, this is the God whom we worship that you don't know of. Let me proclaim him to you. And in proclaiming this God, Paul says, therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something to be shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. Why? Because, Paul says, he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. And he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. God says that the reason that you should believe in my son is because I rose him from the dead. You want proof? There's the proof. Now, I like to wrestle with the scriptures. Uh, when I say wrestle with the scriptures, sometimes I'll, I'll disagree. Not disagree, like, like the word of God always has the last say. So sometimes it might look like this in my mind, and I assume that you probably do the same thing. You go, God, that, that doesn't make sense to me. Now, I believe it. <laughs> Your word is sufficient. I bow to your authority, but I got to be honest, I'm, I'm wrestling with that. And, and my question is, I'm putting myself in the mind of an unbeliever, and I'm asking myself, why is the resurrection sufficient evidence in God's mind for me to believe? In other words, my argument would be, well, I wasn't there to see it. I mean, after all, wasn't it Thomas who said, unless I put my hand in the wounds in his hand and feel the wound that's on his side, I won't believe? I want that kind of proof. 
I mean, they were there not only to hear him preach, but they were able to see him in his resurrected body. Thomas did get to feel his hand. He did get to feel the wound in his side. But if you remember, Jesus said to him, Thomas, you believe because you've seen. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet still believe. And not only are we blessed, but we're commanded by scriptures, all men everywhere, to repent and to believe based on this fact. So the question is, as I'm wrestling in my mind, is going, God, okay, so Thomas got to see. You said, I'm blessed if I believe, but where's my proof? I didn't see him in his physical body as he was in the earth preaching the gospel. I didn't get to see him when he was crucified and he bled on the cross. And I surely didn't get to see him when he resurrected. So how can the scriptures say that his resurrection is sufficient evidence for everyone to believe? I've I've wrestled with this for quite some time, and then I came across Romans chapter 1, verse 4. And when I say quite some time, if I can be sincere with you, it it was a few years. Romans 1.4 says this, that Jesus declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Holy Spirit by the resurrection from the dead. Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power. He was declared to the entire world, hey, this is the Son of God, and he was declared with power. You want to know? Here's how you know. He's risen from the dead. And by the spirit of holiness and this resurrection of the dead is the means by which the Holy Spirit now declares to the earth that this, in fact, is sufficient evidence. Now, if you're still grappling with me, which you probably should be at this point, I want to jump to John chapter 16, and I think it'll really tie this together. Jesus says, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. Now, why is the Holy Spirit called the helper, and why can't he come to us unless Jesus goes away? Well, let's keep reading, and I believe there is a answer. Maybe not all the answer, but there's surely some implications that we can draw out. He says, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So the answer to the question is, why is the resurrection of Christ sufficient evidence, even for those who weren't in physical body present to see the Messiah resurrected? And the answer is because the Holy Spirit bears witness to the truth, which means that every person who's under the hearing of the gospel knows that they know that they know that what is being preached is true. And the reason that they know it is because the Holy Spirit is omnipresent, meaning that the Holy Spirit transcends just the time of Jesus's resurrection. But in fact, Jesus says, because I resurrect, I'm going to Send the Holy Spirit to you. He's the helper. Why is he called the helper? What is he helping us to do? He's helping us to believe the truth. 
Isn't that what Jesus said? That the Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you into all truth. Which means that when somebody hears of the preaching of the gospel, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that he died on the cross for our sins, and that three days later, God declared him to be the son of God, giving sufficient evidence to all by raising him from the dead. And when that word is being preached, the Holy Spirit is saying, this is true, this is true, this is true. Which means when somebody rejects the preaching of the gospel, they're not just simply rejecting the word that's being preached, they're rejecting the testimony of the Holy Spirit. Now, I didn't say that to bring condemnation. I I said that, that it might draw us to this fact. That when I'm preaching, the Holy Spirit's preaching alongside me. So if we're looking for a good reason to preach, this is it. That all authority has been given to Christ. That he was raised from the dead. And now, in his his resurrected state, he has the authority to judge the earth. And in this authority, he has sent the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is bearing witness to the truth. Now, I think when we take hard truths like this and we try to grasp them, uh, I, I notice what happens in my mind, and I think many of us, is, is we, we go, I, I'm trying to, like, I get it, I see it, um, but make it, make it real to me. And I think what happens is we try to picture it for the next person. But if we just personalize it, all of a sudden we know exactly what the Scripture is saying. Here's what I mean. You know that you know that you know that when the preaching of the gospel was taking place, that there was a bearing witness of the Holy Spirit that was happening in your heart, even when you were an unbeliever. So both in the moment of your salvation, you're just like, I I know that what is being said is true. How do you know that the Bible is real? I, I just know. I know that I know that I know. And essentially what you're saying, whether you realize it or not, is that the Holy Spirit bears witness in me, and so I know this truth. And we can even look back in our unbelieving state when the gospel was being preached. You know, I think it was Pastor Derek, and I I think it's a quote from Spurgeon, if I'm not not mistaken, where uh, Pastor Derek uh, would say that, you know, if you throw a a stick into a bunch of wolves, the one that yelps the loudest is the one that got hit, Right. Right. And we can look back in our unbelieving state and go, man, people would preach to me, and I hated it, and I, and I, and I, I was the wolf that... Yelp the loudest. And the reason is because that truth was bearing witness to me. I knew it. I knew it to be true and I wasn't ready to hear it. I'm saying this for your encouragement because you and I need to know sometimes we feel like we're alone in preaching the gospel. We feel like, man, I'm trying to witness to my sister, and she just don't want to hear me, and, and me, 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 and, and we beat up on ourselves, right? But, but we need to be confident in this, that she's not rejecting you, she's rejecting the Lord. And the Lord is able to win the battle. The fight does not belong to you. The fight is his. So we just need to be faithful to plant the seed. The scripture says that some plant, some water, but God is the one who gives the increase. Amen. Now we could close there and say, you know what? I feel confident now to preach the gospel. Because even if I don't get all the words right, I know the Holy Spirit is able to make it make sense to them, right? And let's not forget that oftentimes we weren't the first and we're not the last. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to and find out later that the Holy Spirit had sent somebody right before me. 
And if he didn't send somebody before, how do I know he won't send somebody after? They'll fill in the blanks. God, by his spirit, is able and sufficient to bring to them that truth and let it settle in their hearts. And that's exactly what he did for us. And that's how we know he's able. Here's my uh, second encouragement to you. Three good reasons. Uh, Number one is because all authority has been given to Christ. Number two is that there are no boundaries by which the gospel has no effect. I see that in verse 19. He says, go therefore make disciples of all nations. I had you say with me, all authority. Now, if you will, say all nations. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. We're now told that because Jesus has all authority, that we should fulfill this great commission to make disciples of all nations. That is, to every nation of men, And every human being, as stated again in Mark, you'll remember with me, it says, go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's also to say that there is no language or nation of men where this gospel is not relevant or cannot be understood. No, in fact, we're told that God himself has been testifying of himself long before we got there. I'll get to to that thought in just a second, but let me just hang on this first part. The second part being that that God has been bearing witness of himself long before you and I get there to preach the gospel. The first part being that uh, there is no nation or language of people where this gospel is not relevant. Uh, I, I want to give you just a, a, a snapshot of this for me personally. I was in Ukraine, and uh, I can't remember if I was at a house or in the back of the church. There was this long table. There was a young man sitting to my right. I was at the end of the table, and I, 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 uh, I started sharing the gospel with him. I talked about how uh, Jesus had died on the cross for our sins, that we all need to be forgiven. But he didn't just die on the cross that three days later he was risen from the dead and now he has sent to us the Holy Spirit, the helper, who helps us to believe, who draws us to truth, who cleanses us of all unrighteousness. And that if we give our lives to Jesus, he can make us clean. And I started giving examples and I just said stuff like, you know, maybe you've been on the internet looking at things that you shouldn't have been looking at. Maybe you're addicted to drugs. Maybe you've got an anger issue. Maybe you've got unforgiveness that you just can't let go of. Hey, listen, the Holy Spirit can cleanse you and wipe you clean. God can forgive you of your sins and give you the new life that Christ resurrected for you to have. And as I began to share that with him, now I wasn't sharing it with him. There was a a translator who was translating everything that I was saying. And so, uh, you know, it's kind of like those awkward moments where you say what you say and you don't know how it's, how it's uh, hitting them. You don't even know if the translator's saying it correctly, right? And, um, and so I'm, I'm looking at the translator. I'm looking at him. I would say the next piece, look at the translator, look at him. And lo and behold, as the translator's speaking, he begins weeping. And I know this is like a really elementary thought, but I have to be honest with you. In that moment, this thought hit my mind that I'll never forget. I was sitting there and I thought to myself, dude, the gospel works everywhere. Right now, of course it does, right? Like God is the, he's the God over all creation. But the reality that each one of us needs to be forgiven of our sins 
and the fact that God has a son, and it's through his son that the world was created, that this individual in Ukraine was made by God through Christ, and that he can be forgiven through Christ's death and resurrection, that this had an impact on him. But now I want to go to the second part. Not only does Jesus say, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, which tells us that there are no boundaries by which the gospel has no effect. The gospel has an effect everywhere we go, even here in the United States of America. In fact, even on the strip, I'll share a story with you in just a moment, but even before we get there, God has been testifying of himself. I told you to hold to Acts chapter 17. I want you to go back to maybe where your thumb is at. And I just want to show you a couple ways in which God does this. He testifies of himself even before the preaching of the gospel ever happens. Acts 17, 26 says, And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. Now I'm going to pause there, and I just want you to think of the real implications of what that means. It says that there are no nations that exist apart from the will of God. And God has preordained the boundary lines in which those nations exist. He's not only pre-appointed their boundary lines of how far they can go and, and where they can't go, but he's actually ordained the times in which every nation will rise and fall. Now, I, I would submit to you that this is not only talking about nations, but it's talking about people. And clearly the implications for that are right here in the scriptures. Here's what I mean. First of all, Common sense tells us that nations are made of what? Individuals. Secondly, as you continue to read uh, Paul's summary, he's saying all this because the implications are for the person. So he's saying what's true about nations is true about you personally. You can see that in the scriptures, and I'll read that in verse 22 in just a second. And if you're one of those who likes to cheat, you can, you can go ahead and read it now. But, but here's what that tells me. That tells me that God is in control of the time in which I'm born and the time in which I die. And I know that not just from Acts chapter 17. I know that from multiple verses. But isn't it Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 10 that said, Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? That means Jesus says that even when a pigeon gets hit by a car in the road, it did not happen apart from God's consent and his will. If that's true for the bird, how much more is that not true for us? And that's Jesus' point here, that every single hair of your head is numbered. The times in which we live and die are appointed by God, and then it goes on to say the boundaries of our life. I mean, what this is saying, if it's saying what I think it's saying, that I can't go anywhere that God doesn't allow. So I might say something like, well, hey, my plan was to go to Florida. We, we had planned this vacation, and then COVID happened, and my flight got canceled, and man, what was me, right? But if I'm going to look at it through the, Acts, through the lens of Acts chapter 17, and what, where I have to land, I'm not saying all those things aren't true. COVID did happen, and the flights did get canceled, and that was why I couldn't go. But behind that, the Scripture tells me God is sovereign. That really I didn't go because God did not permit me to go. 
In fact, we not only see this here, we see it in James chapter 4, verse 13. James warns us that if we're going to speak in kind of this, uh, this liberal way, which says, you know, I have freedom, I go where I want to go, I do what I want to do, ah, not so much. You have free will, and you're able to go where you want and do what you want, but really only to the boundaries that God has allowed. Or I heard somebody yell out, ordained. You're, now you're being really biblical, right? <laughs> you're, you're exactly right, that he preordained. So James says in James chapter 4, verse 13, he says, come now, you who say, I like how he says, come now. He's like, just reason with me for a second. You who say today or tomorrow, we'll go to such and such a city and spend a year there. And we'll buy and we'll sell and we'll make a profit. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting to go do business. But he says, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. There's nothing wrong with planning to go do business. But we need to submit to what Paul is saying in Acts chapter 17. And when I say submit, I, I don't mean that we need to give God permission. I mean, God's going to do it one way or another. He's got restrictions on the life of the unbeliever and the believer right? The difference between the unbeliever and the believer is that he believes that and says, yes, Lord, and it's good, right? And so he speaks in that kind of way. He says, well, this is my plan. I, I think that's where, what we're going to do. I got my plane booked. This is where we're going. But, you know, I mean, truthfully, if it's in God's will, I can only really do what he allows. Now, I can hear somebody asking, you know, I don't, I don't like that. Maybe, maybe not in this church. Maybe somebody watching online, right? And I, you know, I don't like that. I don't, I, don't, I don't like that. You're saying that we don't have free will. That's not, that's not what I said. In fact, this would, this would evidence the fact that we do have free will. Here's why. Because if you keep reading, it says in verse 27, let me just jump back up so we can hear it all in its context. And he made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. Why? So that they should seek the Lord in hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. God has ordained our lives in such a way that he directs our steps, yes, of the life of the believer and the unbeliever. But specifically in its context, this is talking about the unbeliever. Now, for the believer, it says the steps of a good man are ordered by God, and he delights in their way. But for the unbeliever, it tells us that he governs their life in such a way that they're like blind men groping their way through life, saying, you know, I think I'm going to go here and do this. I think I'm going to go there and do this. And maybe sometimes God shows the door and says, no, you're not, you're not going here. You're going you're gonna to stay there. And, and, they're, and they're, in the meantime, they're trying to figure out what is the purpose of my life? What am I here for? And then it says that they grow for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. So why does God sovereignly ordain our lives in this way? Because he is, in a sense, pushing us along to help us to discover his presence. Now, let's not be mysterious about this. The way that we discover his presence is through the preaching of the gospel. So if I know that to be true, and I know that uh, based on Romans chapter 10, that tells me faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, which means I need to be under the voice of one preaching, sharing with me the gospel. 
And if that's the way that I discover God, then what this is actually saying is that God kind of uh, scoots me along in such a way as that I'll find myself under the preaching of his word. That I might grope for him and find him. Ah. So when the gospel is being preached, hmm, we can say I was appointed to this moment. Now what you do with that moment is up to you. You do have free will. But God in his sovereign grace has led you to the preaching of the gospel. Now I love this for multiple reasons. I'll talk about why I love it on my second point. It's a good reason to preach the gospel. But let me just say to me and you as believers, can you see how God has led you to the preaching of his word? That it was no mistake, it was no accident. When we say things like, man, it was just like I was supposed to be there. Yeah, you were supposed to be there. It was like the preacher just ripped open my heart and he, and he said all of the secret intents of my heart. How does he know? And it's not that he knew. It's that the word of God dissected your heart and you were destined for this moment. He pre-appointed you for this. Now, this is a really good reason to preach the gospel because here's what it tells me. Wherever I go, well, I have a promise. You have a promise as believers that our steps are ordered by the Lord. But I also know that God is also ordering the steps of the unbelievers to hear the gospel. Well, it just so happens that my intent is to preach the gospel. And if God has been ordering your steps to hear the gospel, and my purpose is to preach the gospel, then everywhere I go is a divine moment. Oh, you think I'm playing? You don't think I'm playing? You know this to be true. Can I, can, can I give you an example of this? Let me go back as far as uh, Saturday. Saturday. Uh, I, I went to the strip. I had this really crazy, you know, inspiration just came about. I used to rap back in the day. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to just go to the strip and I'm going to rap. I'm going to take my speaker and just rap. We'll see what happens. I got my backpack. It's full of Bibles. Jesus, let's just see what you do, right? So I'm, I'm on the strip, I'm rapping, and, uh, and I, as, as the beat begins to play, all of a sudden, uh, this lady with her daughter gives her daughter some money, and I'm like, no, 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 I'm, I, I, I don't, <laughs> you know. <laughs> there, was a, there was a homeless guy over there, so I'm like, just, just give, him, give him the money, right? And so, um, and, then, and then this other couple, this guy's walking. You know, you can kind of read people's conversations. So he's walking with his wife, and he's kind of banging his head. He likes the beat, right? But then he starts hearing what I'm saying, and he tells his wife, hey, babe, wait up, wait up, wait up. This dude's spitting right here. He's spitting. So, so he puts his back up against the wall, and they're, just, and they're just listening. Now, as they're listening, some other people start coming, and now a crowd starts forming. I'm like, oh, it's about to get real. It's getting real. <laughs> And then the police come. <laughs> and I almost got arrested. I called my wife that night. I was like, babe, it was a great night. I almost got arrested. She was like, enough said. You had a great night. Just like the old times. <laughs> now, this gentleman that was listening had come up to me. And before he left, I said, hey, can I give you something? And I, and I opened up my backpack and I gave him a Bible. Now, in my mind, I've got Acts chapter 17 in my mind, divine appointment. God has been leading his steps for this moment that he and I might have this encounter right on the bridge of the Bellagio or wherever it was at, right? Right in Sin City. Whatever it was he came to do, he thinks he came to do one thing. God came. He came really because God had brought him. 
Now, I've got that in the back of my mind, and so I'm confidently just sharing with him the gospel. In fact, I'm not even going to lie to you. I, I, took, I actually opened up to Acts chapter 17, and I showed him, you're supposed to be here. That's what I did. He's not the only person I, you know, I, 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 why not? This is what it says. I'm going to show him. You know what he told me? He said, you know, that's crazy because I used to be a youth pastor years ago, years ago. He says, I, I got into some stuff. I, I told the pastor out of respect that, that I, I just don't think I should do this anymore. And he said, and I've, and I've walked away since. This was years ago, years. Now he's married. And, and he says, you know, my friends have been sharing the gospel with me all the time. They do. And he says, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not ready yet. I need, I need, now's not my time. And they said, yeah, to, yeah now's your time. The evidence is I'm, as I'm preaching to you. Maybe they, knew, maybe they knew this verse or verses like it. I don't know. But, but what they said was true. The scripture says, today, if you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, do not harden your heart. When do you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit? You hear it when the gospel is being preached, which means that's the day of your salvation. Now, you can reject the day of your salvation, and God may, he may, be gracious enough to you to give you another chance. But the scripture says he has mercy on whom he'll have mercy and he'll have compassion on whom he has compassion, meaning that's his choice. For this particular individual, he said, he told his friends, no, 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 I know you. I need to hear it from somebody else. Well, God was gracious enough to him to meet him on his terms. Now he's telling me this because in his mind he's saying, and he actually did say, this is the sign that I've been waiting for. Now, I'm saying that to pull all of this together to say, hey, listen, God was bearing witness of himself long before I ever got there. And as I made in the first point, all authority belongs to Christ. He sent the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been bearing witness in his heart. He knows these things to be true. Well, yeah, but Brandon, that guy was a, that guy was a believer already. Well, the scripture tells us that the Holy Spirit came to convict the world. Did it not? To convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. When you and I open up our mouths to share, we're not alone. And everywhere we go, no matter to what nation we go, or if we just simply go to the strip or talk to our sister on the phone, the gospel is not without effect. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Here's my third and final point. In verse 19, he says, Teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The third reason I would share with you this morning to, as a good reason to share is that Jesus is with you. In fact, we preach not merely because we're commanded, but because our preaching is, in and of itself, our praise. I love the way that David said it, one of my favorite verses, where he says, Oh, Lord, Turn, O Lord, and deliver me. O save me for your mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of you, and in the grave who will give you thanks? In other words, David is grappling with the Lord, and he's saying, God, please turn, have mercy on me, and do it for your mercy's sake. 
Because if I die, how will I be able to tell the world of your mercies? If you let me drown in my sorrow, how will I be able to tell the land of the living that there's a God who saves? So, Father, save me for the sake of your mercy that I might make your mercies known to all the world. When we're invited to share the gospel, we're not simply given a command just to go out and preach as though God is, uh, you know, slaving us like cattle, whipping us and going, now go do what I've commanded you to do. It's not like that. In fact, uh, our declaration of God's mercies is the preaching of the gospel. He says, go, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So what is it that I'm preaching? That's what I'm preaching, that God is with me, that God has been merciful and compassionate, that God has been good to me. And when I got that that, uh, that gentleman and his wife together, I got to pray for them and pray that, that God would show himself faithful in their marriage. Only he knows what it is that they've been going through. Or for that matter, only he knows what it is that they will go through. And even if things go well with them on this life, what will become of them in the next? But we have this hope, don't we? We have this hope that no matter how bad it gets, that we serve a God whose our life is in his hand. And he says that no one can snatch us out of his hand. And he says that our life is in the Father's hand. And that he and the Father are one. And that no one can snatch us out of their hands. So no matter what kind of trial we go through, or no matter what kind of perception of the judgment to come that we might face, we have this hope that holds our hearts like an anchor to our soul. The scripture says that there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we come to God in our time of weakness with boldness and we ask for grace. Even when we've sinned, we have this confession as an anchor to our soul that God, you promised that because Jesus died and ascended, that that mercy has been poured out on my behalf. And you simply have instructed me that if I would call out to you and pray for the forgiveness of my sins, that you would cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And we have this hope. So what is preaching then? But simply sharing with other people the hope that you and I have, both in this life and in the life to come. Now, those are my three points, which means my message is done. But I would be amiss not to ask you, do you have this hope? And I would remind you that what I said about the world is personal to you. That God has been ordaining your steps leading you as a father leads his child to what I believe is this very moment that you might hear his word, that you might somehow grope for him and find us, find him, excuse me, though he's not far from each one of us. And my final question to you is, what are you going to do with that moment? Will you hear his voice and harden your heart? Or will you respond? And with that being said, I I would love to just pray. So if we could, just stand with me this morning.
Let me just pray over uh, all of us, and, and then uh, I do want to just give a, a call to faith. God, as we examine the scriptures, we see your faithfulness near and abroad. God, that even when we were far off, you brought us near. And the truth is, even for those of us who may be far off, your word says that your word is near us. That truly, even for the unbeliever, there's a sense in which you never leave or forsake them, at least in this life. But that eternal promise that we have as an anchor to our soul that we'll be with you forever is given to those who call upon your name. Who say, God, my life is not my own. You died upon that cross that you might purchase me with your own blood. So why am I running from a God who's chasing after me? If that's you this morning and you have never given your life to Jesus, I'm, I'm going to ask you just to remain right where you are, but I am going to ask you to take a step of faith. And that step of faith is just simply lifting up your hand and saying, God, I surrender. I surrender to your will. I surrender to your plan for my life. I surrender to your son that his resurrection power might be my life by which I live. Not my own strength but by your power. If that's you this morning and you believe that God is calling you right where you're at, I just I, I want you to just take a step of faith, just raise your hand. I, I just would love to pray with you. God bless you. I see your hand to my right. I see your hand as well. As we've been saying all morning, there's our God who sees. He sees your step of faith. My brother, I see your hand. my left. The Lord Jesus sees you. He loves you. Over here and in front of me and towards the back, I see you as well. And to my right, God bless you. I see your hands. God bless you. God sees your hand. Father, we... Uh, I know this, I know that you already do, but even if I didn't point you out, God, God saw your hand and that's what matters. So with that in mind, we're, we're gonna take this step of faith. We're gonna pray. I'm gonna just ask everyone just to, just to pray with me, but for those who lifted up their hand, I wanna assure you that God hears your prayer. Why? Because he acknowledges your faith. So we pray with all confidence. Repeat after me. God, I give my life to you this morning. Clearly, your word has shown me that you have been leading me all along. You've protected me even when I felt that I was alone. You were with me. And the evidence is that you brought me here today to hear the preaching of your word. So God, I submit to you. I give my heart wholly to you. My life is no longer my own, but I belong to you. 
Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me to do your will. Help me to walk by faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.